So, uh, Blake and Brittany and Jules, and you know what the rule is, keep your hands off the baby, right? You can look and keep your hands off the baby. Mama might be pretty protective. She might snap at you like a little dog or something. We're glad y'all are here. Pablo, you got me? All right, we're up, Jimmy. All right, it's a great day to be in the Lord's house and... uh, I just want to tell you, you don't want to miss the next, the next few weeks because uh, we're looking at three parables starting today, and uh, we're just going to look one, one week at the two sons. Uh, but next week, we're going to look at the, par- some Bible says, the parable of the wicked tenants. And uh, I've, I've kind of got a rough draft of it, and, and, and I'm telling you, it's, it's one of those scriptures that is just packed full of stuff. So we, we, we won't be there one week. We'll be there uh, a week or so. So uh, read along with us, study along, and, and don't miss. Now remember, if you miss a sermon, uh, it's pretty easy to click on uh, Sermon Audio and pull the sermon up and uh, listen to it. And I know you guys are all accustomed to doing that stuff, and I pray that you would be accustomed to doing that with Sunday's messages if you should uh, miss them. So Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. I'll read it again. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father, his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, now, to me, this is a pretty, we're going along about two sons. And then then we have one of those statements in which I think Jesus speaks something uh, pretty uh, dramatic. Uh, What he says next is, is pretty dramatic. And I think he was doing this uh, by his grace and mercy for the, for the benefit of the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious elite, but I'm not sure that it was effective. But listen to what he says. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not receive him. But, tax, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading of the scripture. And As I stand up here, I remember that uh, Diane said that Mike wasn't feeling well this morning and, and that she was going to come without him. And she's not here this morning. And I don't know if Mike uh, not doing well, but I pray that you'd be with him. I pray that your mercy and grace would be sufficient with him and Diane as she takes care of him this morning. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to pray. We thank you for Blake and Brittany. We thank you for uh, them having jewels uh, in church today. And I pray to Lord that you would anoint them and you'd equip them to raise this young lady to know the Lord. We pray that you'd bring that about in a supernatural way. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So chapter 21 of Matthew, uh, we know how it started. Uh, Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, Then we looked at him driving out the buyers and sellers in the temple. And when he did that, it became a place of prayer, which he intends for the assembling place to be. And then when it became a place of prayer, it became a place of healing. Uh, and we could take that into light uh, uh, today for spiritual as well as physical healing. Uh, we also looked at Jesus cursing the fig tree and what we could learn from that. There, there is a day of judgment coming. Amen. Uh, what, what, what wonderful songs that we sang uh, this morning. Uh, uh, listen, uh, Blessed Assurance, man, when we sing that, we ought to sing it with some unction. Because that's the only assurance that we've got, amen, is the work of Christ on the cross. We looked last week at Jesus' authority being questioned. Uh, All of this was taking place on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, 
He came into town uh, on, on the Sunday. He had Monday. He went back. He came back Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we're about to have the Passover, and Jesus is quickly headed towards the cross. So today we begin to look at three parables uh, right back to back. After all that happened with him coming into Jerusalem, he begins to teach with three parables. Jesus is the ultimate suburb, superb teacher. He knows what he's doing. And so Jesus is about to teach us out of three parables, things that related to real life. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked tenants, and then the parables of the wedding feast. And, and I might say, and everything that goes with those parables that he's going to teach us, such as there is a judgment coming. So we'll look at several of those. Jesus often did things uh, with his teaching or with his doing that got people's attention, right? And then he taught them. Now, that, that's pretty important and because really I, I know that uh, all of us are pretty much on a treadmill throughout the week if we're not careful. And so we, we have a hard time getting off that treadmill and paying attention to Jesus, right? And then we come in here on Sunday morning and young people know what we're talking about and now we all know what we're talking about because we have access, right, to being all the time... Uh, Engaged in something, right? Right? Okay, so on Sunday morning, we, we have to get it a little different, right? Instead of getting it here, we've got to actually pay attention to what somebody's saying. So I think it's a good lesson for us that as we get out of the car and as we get here, we need to kind of get uh, deprogrammed in the way that we do it out here and go back to, listen, this is the method that God gave His people other than reading the God's Word, to get God's Word, right? How are you to get the, the God's Word? By the preaching of God's Word. So surely it wouldn't be something that we wanted to take lightly. You remember the time that he fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish? And then what did he teach them right after that? He is the bread of life. Okay, he does those kinds of things. You remember he raised Lazarus from the dead and then he taught him about the resurrection. So he has a purpose. So in chapter 21, Jesus performed three symbolic actions. He entered Jerusalem triumphantly and then he presented himself as Israel's true king and Messiah. Secondly, he cleansed the temple and turned it into a house of prayer. And then the third symbolic action he did, he cursed the fig tree, and then he taught on the pending judgment of Israel for not bearing spiritual fruit. Okay? So all that uh, he was teaching Israel, he was teaching them, is it not for us to be taught today? Somewhere in the other it relates to where we are spiritually. Now, how do we understand these symbolic actions? Because Jesus goes ahead and teaches about these symbolic actions. And we need to realize that they're a whole lot easier for us to understand because we've got not only the prophecy, not only we have Jesus' words, but we have got 2,000 years of history since then, right? But it wasn't so easy for those people to see that day. Now, we see the teacher, Jesus, using three parables, and we've already talked about what those are, two in chapter 1, but one in chapter 22. I would challenge you, uh, I, I pray that you're a Bible reader, I pray that you're reading your Bible, but I pray that over the next couple of weeks, just because of how important these parables are, all of them are, but these in particular, I pray that you would read the rest of chapter 21, picking up with verse 28, and read the first 14 verses of chapter 22, because you'll begin to see, and you could pray for me that I'd be able to feed you from these parables what God would have you to know. So that's a little bit of an extra reading assignment. So, these parables are explaining his actions. Why he came into Jerusalem triumphantly? Uh, why he cleansed the temple and turned it to a house of prayer? Why he cursed the fig tree. So these all teach 
what those symbolic actions meant. So Matthew 21, 43, which is in next week's uh, scripture, says this. He says this to them later on in the chapter, talking to the Pharisees. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruits. So we're talking about who will inherit the kingdom of God, right? And who will, who will be uh, for eternity in glory? So he's talking to the Pharisees, and, and this verse really, uh, this, is, this is it. Listen, if you want to know whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, if you have believed and truly repented, how will you know that? You are about, on a regular basis, doing the will of God. You will be, on a regular basis, concerned about what God's Word says. Hey, hey listen, I had some great conversations in the last two or three weeks. Uh, 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 two young people in particular, you know, 15 or 16 years old, uh, and, and, and then somebody a, l- a little bit older. But these, basically, two, two guys asked me the same question. Pastor Bruce... How do I know I'm saved? Come on now. That ought to excite your heart. That ought to excite your pastor's heart that 15-year-olds are concerned about whether or not they're saved. That ought to excite you, right? Well, if they ask you that question, or can you answer that question uh, yourself for yourself? All right, so now... So we know Matthew 7, 21, we're going to get to it in a second. And it says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Not everybody says, I believe in God. Not everybody that says uh, that uh, I believe in Jesus are going to go to heaven. We know that. But it says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's Matthew 7, 21. Now we know that's not a work-based salvation. We know we don't do the will of God to get into heaven or to be accepted by God. We do the will of God because we are followers of Christ. So what we're doing does not save us. It reveals that we are saved. It says in that verse, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to people producing the fruits or its fruits. Fruit. What's the fruit of your life? So I, I asked the young man if he knew what Jesus did on the cross. I asked him if he was interested in, in reading the Word of God. And I'll just tell you, this is a young man that struggles with reading. But you know what he's got on his phone? He's got an app that he can listen while he's, he can listen while he's falling along in the Scripture. Y'all with me? That's devotion. That's dedication. That's, that's making the effort to be a Bible reader. Do you, do you, if you're a Christian, you'll have a desire for God's Word and you'll have a desire to pray and talk and commune with God. You'll, you'll have a desire to, prove, to produce fruit. Uh, what would that be? That would be righteousness. That would be holiness in your life. That the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, would be something that you had a desire to see in your life. So, are there any evidences that you're a follower of Jesus? So, this is what the withering fig tree was all about. It wasn't producing any fruit, so what did he do? He judged it. There will be a day that we will be judged. We'll stand before God. And the teaching had its effect. Look at the, I believe it's the last verse of chapter 21. Look at verse 2145. This is what preaching is supposed to do. Y'all ready? When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, that he perceived that he was speaking to them. Look, there ought to be times, maybe more often than we think, that the preaching of God's Word, you know, he's speaking to me. 
And I haven't been, I haven't been in your quiet time. I hadn't been looking at all your texts. I haven't been looking at your Facebook page. There ought to be sometimes that the preacher's preaching or you're, or you're studying God's Word that it what? It speaks to you. A lost person, it would speak to them about repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. For a saved person, it would speak to you about growing in fruit and growing in the grace of God. Today, we're going to take up the first of three parables. Now, this one that we're looking at today, the parable of the two sons, Matthew is the only one out of the four Gospels that speaks to it. Can't go to Mark, can't go to Luke, can't go to John, finding out more about it. You'll have to go back to prophecy to find out more about it. But here's the gist. Y'all ready for the gist of the sermon? Look at verse 31. I've got it printed out there for you. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes... Go into the kingdom of God before you. So let me tell you what that means. It is more likely that known prostitutes and tax collectors, let me just explain that to you. Tax collectors in that day and time were thieves. You with me? Not only they were thieves, but they were traitors. They were Jewish people in cohoots, with the Roman government to collect the taxes and anything they got above what the government wanted, they got to keep. All right? These are, these are prostitutes and tax collectors were known sinners. And yet, it was more likely for them to get into heaven than religious people that thought their goodness and religiosity would get them into heaven. I'm telling you, the worst place for a person to be is a self-righteous person that thinks that they're good enough or have done enough to get into heaven. Those people are in trouble. Because they see themselves as being saved. I mean, rapists, murderers, perverts, thieves, they don't see themselves getting into heaven. So guess what? There's a likelihood, there's more of a likelihood for them to turn to Christ than the others. So the scope has been taught in that verse. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Who are these tax collectors and prostitutes? Well, I'll tell you that. We know what a prostitute is. It's someone that uh, uh, gives themselves away for, for financial gain or some kind of gain. And i tell you what the tax collectors were. Now listen to these two scriptures, Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you know of anywhere in Scripture that he ever talked to a prostitute like that? No. No. Who, who, does, who does Jesus with keep his most harsh speech for? Those people who are self-righteous. Those people who think that they got it going on. Now, why is he so harsh with them? Because it takes... Strong words to break through that self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is one of those root sins. Pride, selfishness, unbelief. Look what he said in Mark 2.16. Now who's he talking to? The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. When, he, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And really the truth of the matter is the reason he was eating with them, there was still a chance for them to be saved, for them to come to repentance. Harlots, prostitutes, whoremongers are great sinners. But most of the time they know themselves to be sinners. Listen, we're in trouble if we don't see ourselves as sinners. Y'all with me? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. It's, it's a wonderful thing to, uh, to, to kneel with or pray with someone 
that you know is following the Lord and their prayers through tears is, Oh Lord, save me a sinner. So by the kingdom of God is meant glory, a new kingdom. Do you know there's two kingdoms? Just two. Not three, just two. There's the kingdom of the God, and there's the kingdom of the world, or the kingdom of the devil. Kingdom of God, kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the devil. Two kingdoms. There's not a third you can opt out in. You with me? Kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the world, which, who rules the kingdom of the world? Prince of the, who's the prince of this world? The devil. Only two kingdoms. So, but the kingdom of God has meant glory and the new kingdom. We were just talking before church this morning. Uh, you know the confusion that happened at Babel? And I'll tell you what this brought up. Somebody said that Spanish is going to be the universal kingdom in the new heaven. <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny, right? Well, it would be just as funny for us to say that English is going to be the, the language of the, the new kingdom in heaven. Confusion will be gone. You know what that means? We won't have any language barriers in heaven. Y'all hear me? Gone. I don't know what the language will be, but we'll all speak it. I would say it could be what Adam and Eve spoke. It would be a whole lot more likely than that than English or Spanish. Amen? I mean, the new kingdom is new. All that old is gone. Mm. I told Jeannie this morning... It, it, is, it is so difficult for some people to grasp some of the hard teachings of God's Word. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, go to John, the 8th chapter, not right now, John chapter 8, and look at verse 44 to the end of that chapter, verse 8. And, and that's the chapter in which the Lord Jesus tells us who our Father is unless God Almighty is our Father. Some hard teaching that never gets very often taught. I'll tell you why. I taught, I preached that one time at a youth rally. I haven't been invited back, by the way. You with me? Hard teachings. What this means is that many tax collectors and prostitutes are better off spiritually than many of the religious elitists. A religious elitist is a person who thinks that they're going to get into heaven because of what they're do they've done or because of their personal goodness. Y'all with me? Can that happen in the church today? Can you, can you, let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, they've tried this in seminary classes where people who have probably graduated from college have gone to a seminary class and they've talked about, let's put up on the board the keys to the gospel. What is the gospel message? And they might have 20 things up on the board about what the gospel is, but there's one thing left off the board. You know what that is? Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. There's no gospel without Christ. That is the good news. That he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our place. He paid our penalty. That's the good news. There's no gospel without Christ. You'll have no desire for the gospel if you're not a sinner. People prove themselves being followers of Christ by doing the will of God. John came preaching righteousness and holiness. That means living a holy and righteous life. That's what John preached. That's what Jesus preached. What, what was the, the message of John the Baptist? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. But the Pharisees, though they heard his doctrine, they saw his life and his conversation... The Pharisees saw others repent and own Christ, yet they were not believers in Christ. They were believers in their own goodness.
they would not repent. That they might believe. They would not be awakened to any sense of their sinfulness. How come it's so easy to see sin in other people's lives and no sin in our own lives? That's why you need to be married, guys, to a good godly woman. If you can't see your own sinfulness, you need a good godly woman around you to point it out to you. We need somebody to point it out to us, right? I I tell you what, I I promise you this. If you will get in the Word of God, you won't have any problems in seeing your sinfulness. It is an absolute mirror. And while you're in there looking in that mirror, the Holy Spirit's going to be all over you. Amen? We are sinners in need of a Savior. They would not turn from their old ways. They would not cry out for mercy. They would not embrace Christ in His work. The, the Messiah had come. Come on, folks. The Messiah had come amongst them. And they missed Him. So the parable is easy for us to understand because the Lord Jesus Christ explains it. The man mentioned in this parable of the two sons is God. The two sons were the Pharisees, a people pretending obedience to the law of God, the people making a show of religion. Yet there were the publicans or the tax collectors, the harlots, the prostitutes, great sinners, bad and vile people, and they made no pretense to be saved. Hey, listen, do you not meet some people out there in the world? They they don't hide their sins at all. Matter of fact, I think some of them are proud about how sinful they are. Are y'all with me? Now, you would think, man, that's a bad place to be. Y'all listen real closely. There's a worse place to be than that. The worst place to be is that is to have a self-righteousness and to think that your goodness or your works is going to get you into heaven. The Pharisee says, I'll go, I'll do, but does not go. Their religion is all talk and no go. It's outwardly only. Hey, listen, not only were they rebellious and not only did did, uh, they, they fight against everything that Christ wanted to do, they hated Him in their heart. They detested Christ. The others, by their lives, declare, Hey, I'm not going. I'm living in sin and I'm enjoying it. That was the other people. But these... Somewhere, because they know that they're sinners, reconsider as the Son did, and are moved by God, and they go and start doing God's bidding. That's repentance. I was doing my bidding. If you, if you want to just get right down to it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you're, you're making money or whatever you're doing. It gets right down to this. I was doing my own bidding. I still have a natural desire to do my own bidding. But a a follower of Christ is now more concerned about doing God's bidding. The father of these two sons did not want empty words. You know what he wanted? He had a vineyard that needed worked in, and he wanted those two boys to go work in his vineyard. Right? That's what God wants of us. I don't want a bunch of talk. I want you to repent, follow Jesus, and we're going to get into this over the next two or three weeks. I want you to go to work in my vineyard. Y'all with me? My church. The father loved the good words, didn't he? Oh, what a good boy. You're going to go work in my vineyard. (laughs) And the 
kid goes outside and says, I ain't going to work in that vineyard. The father loved the good words, but what mattered more to him was the son doing what he asked him to do. That's what pleases God. It's not God's will that men should tip their hat and say the right things. Just because you want to please God or please me or please your wife, that's not what God wants. He wants you to do things that please Him. For the motive only is because you love Him and want to serve Him because of what He sent His Son Jesus to do. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. I, I would say, wow, way up there, 90 out of 100 that I run into in jail. Believe that because, quote, they believe in God, they're going to heaven. And they have no desire to repent and stop going their way and go God's way, and they have no desire to live for God. But they, they what? They believe in God. That's the American religion. That's the American religion that people think is going to get them into heaven. I believe in God. He desires that men everywhere should repent and believe and obey His gospel. The very thing that these despicable tax collectors and prostitutes did, repent and believe, the religious leaders refused to do. It's a hard thing to convince a moral, righteous, civil, and good man that he lacks, lacks anything to be saved. He thinks his goodness will save him. So can you see why the despicable are saved and the moral and self-righteous are lost? Y'all see? What do you say? Go back to uh, uh, verse uh, 31. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. How can that be, right? Should it not be when we read that scripture? Shouldn't we be saying to ourselves, what in the world is he talking about? And what he's saying here, it's easier for known sinners to get into heaven than religious people who trust in their own goodness to get them into heaven. So, three quick takeaways from the text. Number one, was it not a fair expectation that the sons would go work in the vineyard? Here's the right answer. It was, it was the father's vineyard. Who was likely to get that vineyard? Who, uh, who benefited from the vineyard? The sons. So you young people are kind of thinking here. It was, it was right for the father to expect the sons to go work in the vineyard. All right, let's carry that over to the work of God, right? It would be his expectation, since we've got a promise of eternity in glory for 10,000 years, right? And to get all the benefits of that, well, wouldn't it be reasonable that he would expect us to work to advance that kingdom? Here's the answer. It is the expectation of God that followers of Jesus... Here's a little prayer. It's not Thomas Aquinas. It's probably not Bruce, okay? I pray that today I could... Uh, that uh, I'd live for... Let's see. Today I'd... Uh, I've got two of them kind of going on in my mind here. Maybe they'll come back to me. To live for God's glory, being obedient to His commands, doing all I can to advance His kingdom in the local church. With me? Doing God's will to advance His kingdom through the local church. That's what we ought to be about doing if we're followers of Jesus. 
So let me say it again, and you may have it in your notes. Therefore, is it not a fair assumption that Christ would expect us to find our place of service in His church? We'll look at how that obviously becomes today's vineyard in the next few parables. Number two, this is not a proof text for never make a promise or pledge. There are people who think that you should never promise to do something or make a pledge. Well, how about Romans 10, 9 and 10? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one's believing is justified and with the mouth one what? Confesses and is, and is saved. So, what is being taught here is that God is not impressed with promises. Y'all with me? He's not impressed with words. Did you not hear him say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not impressed with words. He's impressed with what we do. Just go read James. It's a little short book. Five chapters. You can read it before the fellowship uh, at Patty Cakes today. You can go read that. Faith without what? Works is dead. Now listen to me. D-E-A-D. Dead. No fruit. No service. No devotion. Listen, young people, y'all looking at me? All you young people looking at me, you, you guys that are other places, listen. No fruit, no service, no devotion, no salvation, rebellion against your parents, and rebellion against authority without any repentance. There is no salvation. Repentance. You want to know you're saved? You're quick to realize that you're a sinner and you're quick to tell God and other people what? I am so sorry. I probably haven't said that lately enough to my spouse. I mean, if we're around people 24 hours a day, are we not going to have a need to tell those people I'm sorry? Will you forgive me? It's just the way it goes. If you're around people in the church, it's, are you not going to often find in yourself saying, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Listen, just somebody tell me about David. Hey, listen, he was, he was worse than a whoremonger. He was on top of that, a murderer. But what did God call this guy? A man after my own heart because he was always quick to be convicted. Sometimes God had to send a prophet by the name of Nathan and say, David, you the guy. But he was quite quick to repent. If you find it hard to admit that you're wrong and to say you're sorry, you need to, you need to find out if you're saved. Number three. Obedient, obedience to God is what requires, is what is required, and is the safe route. You with me? There's two routes. One way is wide. One way is easy. One way is narrow. One way is difficult. You're on one or the other. So, obedience to God and the will of God. Y'all listen to me. I promise you that is a narrow path. Now, how do I know that? Because there's not many people. There are very few people that are even conscious, that would even make a conscious effort to live on the narrow path. And there are thousands of people that when they don't make an effort to live on the narrow path, which path are they on? The wide one. Immediate obedience to God, listen to me young people, is what he requires and is the safe route. The Pharisees say, they, so he said, who's going to get, who's going to, who did the right thing? The first son or the second? They said first. 
Well, listen, the Pharisees saying, y'all listen carefully to this, don't miss this. This might be a little difficult. The Pharisees acknowledging that the first one was the one that did the right thing. It is not a wholesale endorsement of God for that obstinate and rebellious son. Y'all with me? He may have been the one that eventually went, but in the beginning he was obstinate. I'm not going to go. Y'all with me? Listen, young people. What, oh, how I wish, how, how, how many of us in here wish that at an early age, I'm talking about 9, 10, 11, or 12, that I had, we had obviously become followers of Jesus. Because when you start down the road of obstinance and rebellion, it is sometime a path you cannot get off of. Now y'all hang on. He said, which of the two did the will of their father? They said the first. Now look, listen young people, adults, doing what we want to do and put off repenting Turning to God and serving God is not a good idea. Let me read that again. Let me tell you, as a 71-year-old gray-headed guy who doesn't know nothing, let me tell you, doing what we want to do and put off repentance and serving God is not a good idea. Oh, only by the grace of God some of us get snatched up out of that. Amen? So, what's the problem? Don't look now, but on the seventh page, I think. Let's see. Uh, seventh page of your, your little booklet is a grace gem that says sin. Okay? Don't look now. It's, it's a good one. It's a little bitty one page. It's not even one page. Listen. Let me tell you this. Sin is lurking. And sometimes sin takes us captive. And what's that old saying? Takes us farther than we want to go and keeps us longer than we want to stay. Cost us more than we thought it cost us, right? Wow. I mean, that is somebody's little ditty, but that's true. So what I'm telling you, young people... Oh, I, I would beg you, young people, today, admit that you're a sinner, turn to live for Christ, become a follower of Jesus. Look at me, young people, today. Not tomorrow, today. Because sin is lurking. And what the little Grace Jim says, sometimes it takes us captive. Repent, believe. Follow Jesus, read, pray, and resolve the best you know how. Listen, I've, I've told y'all, man, man, I've, I've, I've jumped out of airplanes, I've gone to ranger school, I've refereed basketball, I've done some exciting stuff. But there is nothing as exciting as getting up every day and being committed that day, the best you know how, to live that day for God's glory. And I promise you, that's the safe route. Because even on that route, if you get in bad trouble, or even if your life is taken, you're what? You're at the right spot. These verses, are y'all listening, are a great encouragement to sinners. Do what? Yes. It said that prostitutes and tax collectors would enter the kingdom of heaven. That is great news. The greatest news is for the greatest sinners. God saves sinners. And Paul and I would say, and I am the chiefest of them. Hear me today. God stands ready to receive repentant sinners.
He, John 6, 37, all that, the Father, all that the Father gives me will come to me and those that come to me, what's the rest of it? I will in no wise cast out. You seriously, humbly come to Christ in repentance and, and, and asking for mercy and grace. He will not turn you away. It matters not what we've said or done in the past. Do we repent today and turn to Christ? Today. That's the only day we got, right? Only day we got today. Then the old is gone and the new is coming. A a hearty profession means nothing to God. What did the boy say? I go, sir. But he what? He didn't go. Do we love God? Are we repentors? You know what that means? I used to be going my way. Now I'm going God's way. I used to sin. Matter of fact, I would be like Paul. I used to sin and dream of being, be, doing sin. But now I repent of my sins and I try, to live for a right, right, I try to live a righteous life, a holy life. Are you with me? Repentors. We're always repenting. Anybody besides me? Always repenting. Every day repenting. I have repented. I am turning to God. I am turning away from sin. I'm continually repenting and turning to God. Do we love God? Are we repenters? Are we following Jesus? Are we living for the Lord and His church? And if not, we're living. Are y'all with me? Here's the other option for myself and the world. Is there Now, what we'd love to do, right? Y'all know that proverbial fence? Okay. And we'd love that top of that fence to be like the wall around Jerusalem so we could walk down it, right? We would really like to split the fence. That way, if we want a little over here out of the world, we can reach over and get it. We got just enough Jesus over here, right? We either, come on now. With God, we either in or out. In or out. So... If we're not repenters, if we're not following Jesus, if we're not living for the Lord, if we're not serving in His church, you know what our profession would do? It would make God sick. The Word is a little too big. I know y'all would understand it'd make God sick. The Word used is abominable. It just makes God sick. Let us prove ourselves by our continual repentance. Let us not hesitate, listen, especially in prayer, to call others to repentance. Listen, family, it's tough. But you know what? If I can't see my own sins, it would be Jeannie's uh, duty as a good wife to call me out, would it not? Yeah, come on now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, somebody else can't see their sin, okay? It'd be our duty as brothers and sisters in Christ to call them out, right? Yeah. Now, those on the outside out there, I mean, we'd have to be pretty tight with them, and I don't know if we ought to be that tight with lost people, but brothers and sisters in Christ, if we love one another, we'll call out the person's sin. Let us hold the door open for sinners. Is the door not open in this church? Is the door not open in our invitation in the gospel? Repent and believe in Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus. But our gospel not is not this. I love you and I just want you to be happy. Go on in your sin. That is not the gospel. You remember Alistair Beggs? Love everybody, affirm no sin. That goes for everybody you're around. Hey, if that person working next to you is an obvious unbeliever and they want to flaunt their sin in front of you, you ought to gently tell them about the gospel. Tell them you love them. 
but don't affirm their sin. Because if they don't turn from that sin, what's it going to cause them? An eternity in hell. John 1, 9, I love it. First scripture I ever memorized. Uh, John Holston, First Baptist Church before Dr. Blaze. That goes back before many of you were thunk about. Preached a revival after Dr. Blaze had come there. So it had to be... It had to be in the late 70s, the early 80s. I went there. He preached on 1 John 1, 9. I went home and memorized that verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Tell, tell me now. Tell me a greater, greater scripture in God's word. John three sixteen. it's a good one. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It does not say if we confess our sins and continue to live in them. So today, would you repent and believe in and become a devoted follower of Christ? Today. Today's the day. Don't leave this place. Just get up, instead of going to the back door, come to the front. Do you need somebody to help you? Raise your hand. Come and confess your sins. Acknowledge Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the God. Tell Him you want to be forgiven. Tell Him you want to be a follower of Jesus and beg Him to bring that about. I believe the Scripture says, I know the plans for you have, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. Y'all with me? Young people, old people, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He will in no wise cast you out. May God bless the preaching of his word.